Now, just uh, to give you an introduction into the program, when you're talking about gaining decisions, uh, it's a uh, science. And any science has its rules, laws, and principles that govern it. And the closer you come to understanding the principles that govern the science, the more success you have. Uh, most of the time, when it comes to this area, people have different notions or, or ideas that they feel um, militate against what we're teaching. Uh, for example, one time I had a, I was teaching a group of homeschoolers in uh, Leon Meadows, California, and there were two ladies who were standing in the back that seemed to be pretty agitated. I'm not, I wasn't sure what they were agitated about. When I finished with the kids and dismissed them, both of them came up to me and said, who do you think you are? And I said, Louis Torres, why? How dare you think you could teach these kids to do the, the work of the Holy Spirit? They had preconceived ideas. Um, and they thought that to teach somebody how to lead people to Christ was wrong because that's something that the Holy Spirit does. It isn't something that the human agent does. So there are a lot of preconceived ideas, a lot of misconceptions, and I just wanted you to know from the off start so that as I begin to knock those down, you won't get upset with me, but rather you'll understand that, that soul winning is a science. Is what? A science. And the closer we come to understanding its principles, the quicker we'll become successful in winning souls to Christ. Now that's uh, a uh, pre-seminar statement. I'm not sure if they're still recording it or yet recording it, but as soon as they're ready, we're ready to roll. Uh, shall we have prayer together to begin with? Are you ready to roll? All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you that we can gather together to uh, discuss this particular issue. We pray that your spirit will guide and direct us, and we thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I'm going to ask Jeffrey if he could come up here for a moment. Jeffrey just came into the seminar to begin with before everybody was here, and he said, Pastor, I got these two books. So I said, well, what did they do for you? He said, well, I was trying to hold evangelistic meetings. I was trying to figure out uh, what to do. And he said, uh, fortunately, I had your books. And I was able to read them, and they helped me. And Jeffrey, why don't you come up and just tell them what you, what you discovered and how the books helped you. Because the reason I'm doing this is because there's no way, shape, or form I'm going to, in a, in a uh, seminar, tell you all the gamuts. Uh, cover the whole gamut of, as to how to reach or get people to a decision. So, Jeffrey, you're going to have to bend low and I'm going to have to stretch here. All right. Uh, so, what were you doing? Uh, well, I was holding some meetings in Orlando um, this past two, two weeks. And, um, and before I had the meetings, I was like, Lord, you know, I was afraid to make appeals. Um, I was very afraid because of the fear of you standing up, making an appeal, and nobody comes up or make a decision. And so I went online, trying to look for some things, trying to help me out, and um, I went on this website called rightlytrain.org, and I saw Pastor Louis Torres um, speaking about how to gain decisions. 
Um, and, and, and during that time, he talked about his book. And so immediately, like the next hour, I went to the ABC, got the book, and started reading it. And I tell you um, that those principles in his book really helped me out uh, and gave me confidence on how to make um, decisions for Christ and how to gain it. And um, in our meetings, we had about 40 people come out every night, and 20 of them were visitors. And at the end, we had 18 out of those 20 make decisions for Christ. And um, and so it was it was a it was a good um, good investment, and uh, it really helped me out. And I and I really appreciate it because, you know, not only are those souls one to the kingdom, but also because your effort and you know you put that time into that book. So it's really good. And so I encourage you to really invest into it and um, and really try it out. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. What do you say, folks? Man, if I uh, started an evangelism and I won 18 out of the 20 of my people attending, I would say, Amen. What do you say? So praise the Lord. I should have written the book a long time ago. Uh, and so, I'm not going to be able to cover everything. Uh, this book, I don't know how many of you are acquainted with it. It's called uh, Bottom Sermon Disturbing Bible Passages. The reason I wrote this book is because there are a lot of you who are afraid to give Bible studies because uh, somebody may throw you a question that you can't answer. So, what I've done is that I've taken all the difficult texts that I could find in the Bible, and from Genesis to Revelation, I put them in here with the Bible answers. So that if somebody throws you a question, you can go to that text, go to the page, look up the answer, and give the people the answer. What do you say? Amen. Good book? Okay. Uh, the, the, the next book is Gaining the Decisions for Christ. This one I've written, uh, it's been out for a while now, Review and Herald publishes it. And uh, I've, I've had evangelists, pastors, people who've been in ministry for a long time who didn't just understand how to do it, and when they read the book, all of a sudden it changed their ministry and they became very successful soul winners, gaining decisions for Christ. Then I've had some young evangelists say, Pastor, every time they hold a meeting they call me up and say, Pastor, do you have a story for, for this particular presentation, for the appeal? So I'd tell them the story. Then they come back, man, that worked. And then finally they said, you should put them in a book. So that's what I did, I put them in a book. That's, and so it's called Great Stories for Gaining Decisions. Uh, what I've done is in the first few uh, uh, page, pages, I put in the, the, the whole uh, dynamic of making public appeals. And then uh, inside, I've divided up the topics that we have, the market of beasts, the Sava, the law, etc., and I've placed stories for appeals, okay? Stories for appeals with the verbiage of the appeal. Because sometimes uh, you may make an appeal, but say the same thing every single night. Repeat yourself, being redundant. Uh, here you actually have the verbiage, uh, the wording, so that you can uh, know the story and then make the appeal uh, appropriate for the particular subject that you are preaching that particular night. Okay? Great stories for gaining decisions. And so, I've written some other books, but I just wanted to bring these books here because they're more uh, germane to the topic of gaining decisions. Now, having said that, by the way, some people have wondered, since I've become president of Guam Micronesia, uh, what happened to Mission College? Well, as you can see, it's still there and uh, still running the program. 
Mission College is in Gaston, Oregon, and uh, for those of you who may not know, Mission College is actually the, the pioneer of the three-and-a-half-month training program. All the other schools that you have here, Life, Arise, uh, AFCO, all of those are uh, offshoots of the uh, Mission College. <laughs> okay. So uh, offshoots in the sense that they, sp they sprouted out from Mission College. And uh, there's one in Germany called Josiah. There's one in, uh, in Switzerland called Mission College of Evangelism. And they're trying to start one also down in Australia. So the Mission College started out in the Black Hills and it's the originator of the, of, uh, the program. Uh, the Youth for Jesus that you run, uh, we started also when we were ASI uh, many years ago. In fact, I'll tell you, it's interesting. We started Mission uh, Youth for Jesus right here in, or in uh, Orlando. The first Youth for Jesus was here in Orlando, uh, and in that meeting, huh? 12 years ago. 12 years ago. And in that meeting, uh, David Asher was the first speaker. He was a young punk rocker, whippersnapper. I was trying to coach behind the, the, the stage. And in that particular meeting, we had 147 baptisms, uh, which shocked the whole conference because they didn't think that it could be done. And the next meeting was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I think there's some information floating around that the first Youth for Jesus was in Grand Rapids. Well, I'm the father of it, so I can tell you that it gave birth right here in Orlando, not in Grand Rapids. And uh, so uh, we've been focusing and training in evangelism, and the school's still going. For those of you who are interested, the next class is in September, and it'll be in Guam. So we're taking all the students to Guam to participate in evangelism. Yes, ma'am. I have a friend who just got baptized in just a few months ago who is by God's grace still in the Praise the Lord, yeah. So we'll be doing the next class in Guam, and so pray for us as we train the young people and put more workers out there. We know that harvest is great and labor is a few. And uh, the more people that get trained, the better. What do you say? Amen. All right. So let's talk about getting decisions then. Um, and uh, the first thing that needs to be considered when you're dealing with the aspect of gaining decisions is to get acquainted with the individual. Okay, do what? Get acquainted with the individual. Leading a person to make a decision in favor of the gospel involves several considerations. One of the most important is a person's personal experience. So, a simple way to get acquainted with people, I just use the acronym which many of you may be acquainted with, uh, FORT, F-O-R-T, okay? Uh, and fort simply means family, occupation, religion, testimony. Now, please understand that these are just it's an acronym and it's a suggestion, but they are not to be necessarily used in the order that you see them. Do you understand? Uh, for example, if I sit next to a person, uh, I was flying this way, and the gentleman that sat next to me, I immediately noticed that his uh, backpack looked like a military backpack. So I asked him the question, are you in the military? So where did I start with? Occupation. Occupation, you see. And he said, yes, I'm in the military. And I said, so where are you going? Are you getting deployed someplace? He said, uh, actually, I'm going for training in Fort Benning in uh, Georgia. 
And so I said, well, I've had some friends in Fort Benning, Georgia, so where are you stationed? In Guam. I said, well, I'm, I'm from Guam also. And it turns out as well is that he is a, uh, a new uh, policeman. So he's actually with the National Guards, and he's a policeman, a new uh, um, recruit. So I uh, reached in my, in my pocket, and I uh, brought this out, and I showed him the badge. I happened to be the chaplain of the police department in Guam. And so he was delighted, and it uh, turns out that his father is one of the sergeants in the police department. And then I told him about how chaplains work and all of that. He said, oh, uh, we, need to, we need that chaplain. We need, uh, uh, you know, the new policemen need to know the uh, opportunities that are there for us and all that and the support that there is there and all that. So where did I start? With occupation. You understand? Then from there, I went to my testimony. You understand what I'm saying? And so these are just uh, uh, suggestions to help you to, to know that to get acquainted with somebody, you need to know those four things. All right? So if I'm going to get acquainted with Jody, I'm going to say, Jody, my name is Louie. Hi. And where are, you, where are you from, Jody? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma? In Morris. Now, I don't know where Morris is. Where is that? Oh, well, it's about an hour south of Tulsa. An hour south of Tulsa. Okay, well, I know where that is. And uh, you lived there all your life? Oh, no. No. Born in Wisconsin. Born in Wisconsin. And what made you go down there? To well, I've just been slowly touring the United States one state at a time. Okay. <laughs> and, and are you with your family down there? No. By yourself? Well, I'm with my husband. Well, that's part of your family, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> I hope it's your family. <laughs> so you and your husband are, are working down there then? Yes. Oh, good. So what kind of work do you do? Well, um, my husband's retired, but we're, we have a, a little zoo. Okay. Husband's retired and have a little zoo. Well, this is getting interesting. <laughs> All right. So do you see what I'm doing? What am I doing? Getting acquainted with the person. When you get acquainted with a person, it creates a bond. It creates a what? A bond. And as friends, it's a lot easier to lead into a decision than just complete strangers. All right? Do you understand that? All right? So that's important. Now, once you've gotten acquainted with a person, uh, then you can begin in the process that we're talking about. But more specifically, when you're dealing with decisions, you're either in an evangelistic meeting or you are in a Bible study setting. So if you're giving Bible studies, um, it's important to know how to lead a person to a decision. How many of you have given Bible studies and just have been frustrated because people have not made decisions? Can I see your hands? Well, raise them high. Let me see. All right. Now, there are reasons for that, but the primary reason that I discovered is that people simply just don't know how to do it. Okay? So, let's walk through the steps then to uh, try to help you to understand. First of all, people are in three categories. How many? Three. Three categories. And uh, those three categories are so... Uh, cultivate and harvest. And by the way, in this book, I, I'm covering all of that. And so what I cannot cover here, you can get it in the book, okay? Um, now, 
the three categories are so cultivated and harvest. What that means is that there are people who are in one of these categories. Let me explain what I'm saying by that. First of all, there are people in the so category who have never heard they need the seed sown. You'll, you'll come across people, even next door neighbors, they have no interest in religion. They have the, no, they're not, they're not uh, antagonistic toward religion. It's just that they've grown up, uh, their parents never went to church, etc. And so they're really just strangers to divine influences, okay? They need the seed sown. And the seed, according to the scriptures, is the Word of God. What is it? The Word of God, okay? Then the second group is the cultivating group. And these have heard, but need to be nurtured. They have what? Heard, but need to be nurtured. All right? The third group is the one that does uh, have enough understanding, but they have never made the decision. They have never made a decision. Okay? I've come to churches, for example. I remember one church that I went to, Kansas City Central Church, and uh, there was a lovely member, at least I thought he was a member, uh, he chewed the cud and split the hoof. He was, uh, you know, uh, he walked and talked, etc. And as we sat together, uh, I've discovered that uh, he grew up in Kansas City, uh, that he'd been attending the church for 10 years. Uh, he kept the Sabbath. He paid the tithe. He was a vegetarian, etc. So I said, so when did you join the church? He said, I'm not a member. I said, you're not a member? How come? No one's asked me. Ten years in the church. How long? Ten. Ten years in the church. No one had invited him to become a member. Why? They assumed that he was a member because he walked the walk and talked the talk. Okay? I was telling this to a group of pastors in Australia, and they thought I was making up a story. That was Wednesday morning. But Wednesday night, they, they went to their prayer meetings. Thursday, they came back for the training, and one of the pastors was kind of red in the face and said, Pastor, can I say something? I said, Sure. He said, I thought you were making up stories. So I was telling the, my uh, church members at prayer meeting about what you were saying. And four people raised their hand and said, we haven't been baptized. How many? Four, four people raised their hand. We haven't been baptized. <laughs> and so he said, I have to confess to you what you're saying is true. Right here in Australia, in my church, I had four people who I thought were baptized members. They'd never been baptized. Okay, so there are people who know enough but do not make a decision. I've come across people who've been, a, been attending church for 50 years. How long? 50 years. Been married to a spouse for 50 years. Has not permitted their children to go to any other school than an Adventist school, etc. Never been baptized. Never made the decision to become a member of the church until I discovered that. Then they were in trouble. Because I went after them, and by God's grace, they were baptized. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right? So, in your Bible study setting, uh, in your, in your uh, uh, contacts with people in your church or, or neighbors, etc., don't take anything for granted. Ask questions. Do what? Ask questions. Find out where people are, and if you ask the right questions, you'll dis discover where they are, and they'll help you to determine where they are in this setting. Okay? Do you understand? Because if you discover where they are in the setting, then you know which approach you are to take. If you don't know where the people are, then you'll assume too much and you'll make, take the wrong approach. For example, 
if it's an atheist, where would they be? What category? So, if they're a Pentecostal Baptist, where would they be? Cultivate. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, for me to, to, to uh, treat a, uh, a Pentecostal as he was a so category would be insulting to him. All right? For example, last night uh, or yesterday, I went to register at the lobby. You understand, at the hotel here. And as I went to register, I uh, shared with the, um, the lady asked me for a credit card, so I happened to pull out my wallet, and she saw the badge. And then after I registered, she said, uh, by the way, she said, I'm a newborn believer. We were just born again recently. And she said, I'm married to a Muslim. Can you pray for him? So I said, I'd be glad to. So when I went to register here then, they gave me a book. What's the book that they give you? Prophets and? Patriarchs and Prophets. Patriarchs and Prophets. Do you know what I did? I took that book and went and gave it to her. So this morning I went to see her. I said, did you get my book? Thanks so much, she said. All right. Here's a person who already is in which category? Cultivate. Okay. You got it? You understand what I'm saying? Is that simple? Yes or no? All right. Now you say, well, simple for you. Well, listen. You'll discover it's not as difficult as you think it is. All right. Now, once you've got that under, underhand, now that you understand what you need to do, the next thing is to understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays in this whole thing. All right? The role that the Holy Spirit plays in this whole process, dynamics. I'm going to give you a list of texts here that uh, you're going to ask me to keep it up, but I can't because I have to keep on going. But first of all, you need to understand that we need the Holy Ghost in order to work. We need the, the ability to perceive, and that ability is given by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice Paul. The Scripture says that when Paul came across a man who was lame, he said, beholding him, and what's the next word? Perceiving that he had what? Faith. Faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, understand what, what this is saying. If Paul had looked at the guy and sensed that the man did not have enough faith, would he have said, Stand up and, and walk? No. no. So, one of the important things when it comes to soul winning is you need to develop your spiritual perceptive. Spiritual perception, okay? Do you understand? Now, if you don't have it, that's all right. It is an art that's developed. Is it what? Because it is something that the Spirit of God will help you to develop. I want you to notice this statement. We need, what's the next two words? Divine what? Intuition. intuition that we may know how to work for souls ready to perish. So if we need divine intuition, obviously if it's needed, do you understand what I'm saying? Then if we don't have it, how successful will we be? We won't be successful. So does God want you to fail? What's the answer? Now, therefore, will God just leave you in the lurch because you don't have it? No. God will give it to you. God will what? He will give it to you. All right? Do you understand? 
but he'll give it to you in response to you creating a need for it. Well, can you hear what I said? He'll give it to you in response to what? For you creating a need to have it. Please remember this, that when the Bible says, go ye, if you're not going, don't expect to claim the promise. Lo, I'm with you always. Because that promise, lo, I am with you always, is if you're going. I've seen only a few amens. You see, people say, you know, we don't see miracles uh, in the, uh, the Adventist church. You know why we don't see miracles? Because our people are not going. If you're going out there, you'll see miracles. Did you hear what I said? If you're going out there, you'll do what? You'll see miracles. If you're staying in your pew, what do you'll see? Oh, you'll see something. You'll see arguments and all sorts of things. But you will not see miracles. Okay? You want to see miracles? Go. Look, I can tell you personally, by God's grace, I've cast out demons. By what? By God's grace. It isn't something I was looking for. It came to me. I had to deal with it. Okay? By God's grace, I've heard, I've, I've witnessed the speaking in tongues, the hearing in their own language, the wonderful works of God. Okay? By God's grace, I've seen miracles of healing. Do you hear what I'm saying? By God's grace, I've seen those things. Why? Because I've been going. I've been what? going. All right? You hear what I'm saying? All right. So, if you want to get these gifts, you must go. If you want to get decisions, you must be about there trying to get a decision. You won't get a decision if you're not trying. All right. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's a list of the Holy Spirit, what He does. And this is important, by the way, because there are people out there now who are confused about the Holy Spirit, okay? If you know there's a Holy Spirit, it's called God. He's referred to as He. He comforts, He teaches, He testifies, He reproves, He guides, He hears, He speaks. Uh, he shows, He commands, can be grieved, can be sinned against, can be quenched, brings to remembrance, makes intercession, gives power, a witness, and directed the New Testament church. What's that? Dun, 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 dun. All right. Uh, now, let's go to some practical uh, understanding of this whole dynamic, the Spirit of God working and uh, how He works. The Bible says that Jesus met a man by night whose name was Nicodemus. You remember that? And after Nicodemus made his introduction, Jesus simply went to the point. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Please understand this, that before you can enter the kingdom, you must see. Okay? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Perhaps this is a new slant to you because most of the time you've heard you except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But notice that the first passage is he cannot see. And if you check in your Bible, you'll discover that what I'm saying is true. All right? Now, Nicodemus said, how can these things, what? Be. All right. So, then Jesus responded to Nicodemus in verse 5, and that's where it says you cannot enter. 
It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, so there are two conditions there. You first must see, and then you must enter. Okay. Now, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. All right? All of us have been born of the flesh. But in order to see and enter, we must be born of the Spirit. Now, having said that, did Nicodemus understand that? No. He simply said, how can these things be? Okay? So then Jesus said this very interesting statement. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, and cannot tell from whence it's coming, and unto where it's going. So is everyone that is what? Born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus is helping Nicodemus understand by switching from the spiritual to nature to give him an understanding of the spiritual things that he's talking about. Nicodemus cannot understand the spiritual, so Jesus now is using the nature to help him understand the spiritual lesson. Okay, what was Christ saying? Okay, he says the spirit goes where it wants to, correct? That's what he's saying. You don't know where it's coming or where it's going. You only know by the sound thereof. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When we consider this, Jesus is equating the wind to the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he's using that which enables us as humans to understand from the physical what the spiritual dynamics are concerning this. Now, a simple breakdown of this is this. First of all, a man, according to the Bible, is represented by a tree, correct? All right. So we have the wind and we have a tree, correct? Now, therefore, you have to ask the question, do you see movement? If the tree moves, the wind is what? Blowing. Okay? If the tree moves, the wind is what? Blowing. All right? Conversely, if the tree does not move, then what? The wind not blowing. All right? Now, that's simple enough that a child can get that. What do you say? All right. So, if you're going to be a soul winner, one of the important things that you need to learn to do is observe if the wind is blowing or not. What did I say? Observe to see whether the wind is blowing or not. One more time. Observe to see if the wind is blowing or not. All right? Because if the wind is not blowing, then you're trying to force a decision that cannot take place. Now, let me explain what I'm saying by this. Too many times, lay people are taught that all you have to do is this. 
So they're giving Bible studies, or they're giving a set of DVDs, or they're giving a video cassette or something, and they're told, look, if you can just get somebody to watch this, that's all you have to do. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen many pastors say, you know, look, all you have to do, I remember the old Duquesne projector. How many of you remember the old Duquesne projector? You know, all you have to do is put the cassette in there, put the film strips in there, press the button, put it on top of the television, and the people watch it, right? That's all you have to do. It does the work for you. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is carry the thing in there and put it up in the right place and get somebody to watch it. And whoopo, you got a baptism. The problem is that you're teaching people, hear what I'm saying, you're teaching people that conversion is by mechanics. And even though that's not what you're saying, if you're teaching people that it's the instrument that does the work, then you let them to depend upon the instrument and not depend upon their own ability to decipher or determine whether or not the wind is blowing on that person. Yeah, cast your bread upon the waters is a good statement, but there's more to soul winning than just casting your bread upon the waters. What? Say that, now you got a controversy here, you started. <laughs> All right. You see, the important thing, folks, is this. The important thing is this. When you're dealing with soul winning, you have to have a spiritual perception to recognize whether or not the Spirit of God is working or not. Because human hearts are not converted just by mechanical mechanisms. Human hearts are converted by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, your role and my role is to learn how the Spirit of God works so we can cooperate with Him. So we can what? Cooperate, cooperate with Him, all right? So let me continue. As the wind moves in its force upon the lofty tree and brings them down, so the Holy Spirit can work upon human hearts and no finite mind can circumscribe. In other words, you cannot put a fence around the Holy Spirit and tell Him how to work. Your job is to see how He works. You cannot put a fence on Him. You cannot restrict Him. All right? Here's another statement. You cannot see the what? The operating agency. But you can see its effects. Okay? So, when we're preaching the Word, when we're given Bible studies, we are to watch. We're to what? Watch. Watch for what? Watch for effects. Watch for what? Effects. Here's another statement. Like the wind, which is what? Invisible. Invisible, yet the effects of which are plainly seen and felt is the Spirit of God in its work upon the human heart. That regenerating power which no human eye can see begets a new life, in the soul, it creates a new being in the image of God. You don't see the agent, but you see its effects. Does that make sense so far? Are you following me? All right. So, we have to become experts at observation. But it's not very complex. It's just knowing what to look for. 
I have a friend who thought fishing was something that you did if you had luck. If you didn't have luck, you didn't go fishing. So he met a friend at school who said, let's go fishing. No, 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 no I don't want to go fishing. He said, why not? I don't have any luck. Said, I've gone fishing and I never catch anything. And the friend said, it's not about luck. It's about knowing what, you, what you're supposed to do. No, 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 no. He said, look, I, I've done it and, and I haven't been able to catch a thing. No, he said, excuse me, I caught a cold. And so the friend said, well, look, if you go with me, I promise you, you'll catch something. No, 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 no. He said, just go with me. All right, so he went with him. So he went to, to the shore, okay, this is in Australia. He goes to the shore, and there are people there with their rods, you know, trying to catch something, that they're not catching anything. So he goes next to them, and he says, okay, you watch. So he threw his rod in and brings him in. And he said, wow, how'd you do that? He said, I got luck. He threw it again. Wow, how'd you do that? I said, I told you. Oh, you want to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, look, all you have to do is this, 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 this. Okay, man. All right, go ahead. He brought it in. It's exciting. He threw it in again. He brought it in. Well, there were some people there still fishing, hadn't caught anything. So he went over to them and said, you want to catch something? Well, are you some wise guy? He said, no, no, I'll teach you how to do it. So he told them how to do it. They cast and they started catching fish. And he was just amazed. So it is about learning and sensing and feeling. You understand what I'm saying? Are you following me so far? All right. Now, though we cannot see the Spirit of God, we know that men who have been dead in trespasses and sins become convicted and converted on their operations. The thoughtless and wayward become what? Serious. The hardened but repent of their sins, the faithless believe, the gambler, the drunkard, the licentious become steady, sober, and pure. The rebellious and obstinate become meek and Christ-like. Okay? While the wind is itself invisible, it produces effects that are what? That are what? Seen and what? So the work of the Spirit upon the soul will reveal itself in every act of him who has felt its saving power. So, we are watching. We learn to watch. We learn to observe. You got it so far? And so we have to do what? What do we have to do? What do we have to do? What is it? Watch. Okay. One more time. One more time. You're not really enthusiastic about this watching. What do you do? Watch. All right. So you have to watch. You have to what? Watch. watch. All right. So as you're working for souls, you're giving a Bible study, what are you doing? You're watching. Now you have to be careful that you don't stare. Okay? But you what? Watching. You're watching. Okay? You're trying to observe. You're trying to sense. You're trying to what? Watch. You're trying to sense and watch and observe. All right? Listen to what it says about Jesus. Jesus did what? Watch. He watched with what? Deep earnestness, a changing countenance of his hearers. The faces that express interest and pleasure gave him great satisfaction. As the arrows of truth pierced to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition and final gratitude, the Savior was made glad. And there are many more statements about Jesus watching. So when he was speaking, what was he doing? He was watching. He would, he would glance on the audience. He would what? 
your glance in the audience. I've learned that. When I first became a preacher, I wasn't taught these things. So, uh, scare spitless. I remember uh, Brent, Brent was one of my teammates, Brent Palmer, and uh, we were just young whippersnappers, learning our way. And I remember uh, being so nervous about the content and the material, you know, so we stand up to two o'clock in the morning gathering stuff, making sure it was right and all that. And then when we were up in front, we were just looking at our material, making sure it was right and all that. All right? But once I understood the principle, I began not to look so much at my material, but look at my audience. Look at my what? My audience. And that's what I did. I learned to watch my candidates. The first year that I uh, did Bible work, once we separated, we had a team called Better Living Team. When I separated from that, the first year in Bible work, God bless, I had 27 baptisms that year. That was my first year as a Bible worker. I learned to watch. I learned to what? Watch. Okay. So you watch the indications. Now, what is it that you watch for? You watch for something called conviction. What is it? Conviction. Conviction. Okay. There you are. All right. So you watch for what? Conviction. And now in this book, we're up to page 30. Okay. Now I've skipped a lot of stuff, but we're at page 30. You watch for? Conviction. Conviction. All right. Now, what is conviction? The working of the Holy Spirit. All right. That's a good statement. But how do you know what it is? You see, first of all, you have to know conviction personally. Have to what? Know conviction personally. Have you ever been convicted? Yes? All right. So you have to know it. But you also have to understand this. The conviction has a lot of colors to it. In other words... Everyone's not convicted exactly the same. And therefore, as the wind blows, there are different, different hues or colors that display themselves that help you to know if there's conviction or not. Okay? You got it? All right. For example, conviction is the voice of God speaking to what? To the conscience. But... Since you cannot open up the brain and see that there's conviction there, then the question is, how do you observe conviction since you cannot read the heart? See, God says, man looketh on the outward appearance. Man looketh on the heart. So God can see what's inside the heart. I did reverse them. God, (laughs) yeah, God can see what's inside the heart, but you and I can see what the outward appearance. One of the things that happens, and this is what's happening, by the way, as you're being going through security and all that, now they have machines that they can actually sense your alterations within by the things that are happening outside when they ask you questions. Okay, so while they're asking you questions, the, the machine is picking up your body language. Like a lie detector. Yeah. It's picking up your convictions. Okay. It's picking up what's inside by what's outside. That's why the Bible says that God looketh on the heart, man looketh on the outward appearance. Okay. Now, 
Conviction then, number one, you personally become acquainted with it. Learn how it works or how it is uh, displayed. What are the indications that it's present? And of course, once you, you recognize it, what must be done to facilitate its maturation into a decision? So you must recognize conviction. And once you recognize conviction, then you have to know how to lead that person from conviction to decision. Okay? You got that? So you recognize conviction, and you lead that person into a decision. But if you don't recognize conviction, what you're trying to do is lead people to make decisions by rote. For example, you assume that if you can get the person to study for 24 lessons, that at the conclusion they're ready to make a decision. And it doesn't happen that way. And that's what frustrates people. Because you gave studies, you gave studies, you gave studies, you gave studies. Finally, you finish, and the guy says, thanks so much, buddy. Has that happened to any of you? Okay. So, just because a person gets information, that doesn't mean that they're ready to make a decision. A person it can be led to make a decision if, if there is obvious evidence that there is conviction. So you must be watching for conviction. Watching for what? Conviction. If a person is under conviction, it is a lot easier to lead them into a decision. If they're not under conviction, then you're trying to convince them. You're trying to what? Convince, convince them. And you may be able to, by logic, to convince somebody about the truthfulness and rightfulness of what you're presenting, but that still does not equate into a conversion. And sad to say, there are many Seventh-day Adventists who are convinced but not converted. Is that true? Okay. So, you have to go beyond just convincing. Now, am I making this more complex for you? No. What I hope I'm doing is just bringing it deeper and deeper and deeper, bit by bit, so that you don't drown to begin with, right? So, let's keep on going deeper. Every fresh display, every what? Fresh. Of what? Conviction. conviction of the grace of God upon the souls of unbelievers is what? Divine. Divine. When I see conviction in people, I rejoice because I know that there's divinity at work. Okay? You hear what I've said? When I see conviction, I know what? Divinity is at work. I am seeing before my very eyes the wind blowing. And that's exciting. I was in the Philippines a couple of years ago, and there was a young lady who attended. We are, every year I take a group to India, the Philippines, and coach them how to do evangelism. So it's a two-week thing, and uh, every morning I get together with them and coach them. In fact, the, uh, the DVD that you have, the New Beginnings, you know that? Okay, before they were actually utilized, I went with the ASI team, Dancer McNeilis and all the ASI leadership, and I was there to coach them in how to preach those things so that they could get decisions. And when we finished that whole campaign of two weeks, we baptized 3,500 souls. Okay? That's what got them excited about the DVD, 
uh, pushing it about lay people. Because I had told them, I said, look, don't expect the lay people to do it if you haven't done it yourself. Oh. <laughs> so we went out there and they field tested it. They got excited and came back, okay? But it's not the instrument that does it. It's the sense of feeling whether or not there's divinity at play. Well, two years ago I was with this uh, team and I was coaching them. The first day I noticed a young lady that I sensed was not yet a member. So the second day the mother came to me and said, oh, my daughter, she, you know, she won't make a decision to be baptized and all that. Can you talk to her? I said, don't worry, I've already spied her out, so I'll uh, get with her. So the third day I got with her. So we began to talk. I used the Ford approach, you know, got acquainted with her. So where are you from? And all that, and all that. She was from Germany. She came with her mother to help her because her mother had a limp and her mother wanted to be involved in soul winning. And so she came to help her out. So I, I said, uh, so when did you become a member? Now, I knew she wasn't a member, but I'm asking a question. I'm asking what? A question to get her answer, all right? So she said, uh, oh, I got too many objections against Adventism. I said, you do? She said, yeah. I said, look, can we get together? I'd love to hear them, because I try to make a list of objections you know, that people have, so I can hear what they are. Sure, she said. So she made a, l a long list. When we got together, she had all this list. You know? So she gave me the first one, gave me the second one, gave me the third one, the fourth one. By the time we concluded, she was getting frustrated because I was answering all her questions. And uh, so once we got to the last one, I said, so what would keep you from becoming an Adventist? She said, I don't want to have to wear my hair in a bun and wear long dresses. <laughs> so I said, who told you you had to wear your hair in a bun and, and uh, wear long dresses? But her response told me that there was what? Conviction. Okay? When she said that, I knew she was under conviction. So I said, I saw a lot of little tears in her eyes. And I said, Ramona? She was German with a Ramona, which is a Spanish name, but anyway. I said, Ramona? I said, uh, it's, that's cute. I was smiling. She said, what's so funny? I said, it's just wonderful to see what's happening. She said, what's happening? I said, how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I said, why are you fighting him? Why don't you just yield to him? And then she started crying. <laughs> and I said, Ramona, you know God's speaking to you. She said, yeah, it's true. I said, why don't you just give him your heart? All right. So... <laughs> We knelt together and prayed, and she got up and she said, okay, I'm getting baptized, but you're going to baptize me. I said, wonderful. So when we, we baptized 1,200 people that uh, campaign, and she was one of those baptized, okay? So once I see, once I what? See. I see divinity at work. I know that the wind is blowing, okay? You got that? You understand what I'm saying? All right. Now, that's why it says every fresh display. Christ is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for what? Truth and what else? Every conviction of our own what? Is an 
that his spirit is? Isn't that good news? What do you say? Hmm? I had a guy come to me and said, I'm, I feel I'm committed to the unpardonable sin. I said, you have? Yeah. I said, how do you feel about it? I feel horrible about it. I don't want to be lost. I said, then you're okay. He said, what do you mean I'm okay? Everyone? Everyone? Conviction of our own? Is a what? Evidence. I said, the Spirit's working with you. You're okay. Just make sure you don't commit the unpardonable sin. Give up whatever you have to give up. Surrender whatever you have to surrender to. But you're on the right track. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Very important to understand how the Spirit of God works. Now, I can say a lot about this. The important thing is this. When the Spirit of God is working in a human heart, there are indications that He is working on them. Uh, let me give you a, 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 a list of indicators, all right? A list of indicators. Uh, first of all, they're positive and what else? And negative indicators. Positive and what? Negative indicators. Now we're on page 35 on the book. Okay? Positive and negative indicators. Now, if you notice, the, the positive indicators are on this side, negative on this side. In other words, if I'm looking for evidence that the wind is blowing, if I'm looking for what? Evidence that the wind is blowing, I must be able to see, must be able to what? To see those visible indicators that tell me that the Spirit is working on the human heart. So, if I'm giving Bible studies to a person, I'm watching. I'm what? I'm watching. I'm watching to see if these indicators show up or these. Now, most of the time, Adventists don't have problems with this side. No problem with that. If a person is yielding to the Lord, okay, uh, then there's no problem. This side is yielding, and the other side is resisting. Okay? In either case, the Spirit of God is working. What did I say? In either case, the Spirit of God is working. All right. The yielding side is this side. People may have joy. They begin to tell others about what they're learning. They begin to personalize it. They may have tears of joy, can't stay away. At first when they came, they were kind of standoffish. Uh, and all of a sudden, they just can't stay away. They, they love the environment, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Uh, the lighting up a face. Have you ever seen in an audience, or maybe it's happened to you, as you're sitting there, all of a sudden you go, you know? Well, that tells you, bing, it hit. You understand? That's a, an evidence. What is it? An evidence, all right? Uh, they begin to ask questions. They begin to study. They have positive attitude changes, uh, lifestyle changes, restitution, peace. Pray about it. I've seen uh, all of these, all right, in people. As I've studied with them or, or preached the Word, I've seen them, all right? The other side is where, as I said, people have difficulty with. Sorrow, rejection, argument, tears of sorrow, avoidance, anger, rejection, uh, objections, refusal to study, negative attitude changes, rebellion, denial, restlessness, irritable. All right? So let me talk to you about that side, because that's where you have problems with. I mean, when the person is yielding, well, they're yielding, right? 
They come to the church. They're happy. They seem to be assimilating what they're hearing and all that. Everything is fine and dandy. It's in this side where you guys have the struggle. Right? When a person avoids, all of a sudden they're studying with you, then they don't want to see you anymore. They're avoiding you. How many of you have had people avoid it? Yeah, they begin to avoid you. They don't want to see you anymore. Okay? Uh, objections. How many of you have had people begin to object? I mean, you've gone through study, 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 studies, and all of a sudden there's this objection, that objection, this objection. Okay? And so, uh, by the way, in the book, again, referring to the book, in the back of the book, I have the different objections and the responses to the objections. Okay? So, people begin to object, refuse to study, etc. Let me give you some, some uh, particular uh, situations. Anger, okay, for example. I'm holding an evangelistic meeting. There's a lady attending my evangelistic meeting. She looks like Lucille Ball. The I Love Lucy girl, you know, blonde hair, big blue eyes, and all that. And she's just like her. She's sitting in the back. It's about 300 something people in the audience. And you, you can hear, Amen, brother! It's her. She's from New Jersey, and so over there, uh, people don't, don't mind shouting, what have you. She's moved to Florida, they're retired, they're wealthy, they sold their business, and she got a handbill, brought her, her, uh, brought her husband, her sister, and her brother-in-law, dragged them to the meeting. She was one of those type of girls. And every night, amen, 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 amen. Well, one night I didn't hear one amen. So, I wonder what had happened. When I finished the meeting, I went down to meet my, uh, uh, to the foyer to greet the people, and another lady stopped me. She was uh, another wealthy lady, and she said, Pastor, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. She said, I can't tell you how grateful I am for what I heard. She said, uh, I've been addicted to jewelry, she says. Just been addicted to jewelry. And she said, tonight I'm free. What did that tell me? Was there a conviction, yes or no? Yes. Yeah, tonight I'm free. She says, there's only one problem. My husband this morning surprised me with a golden a diamond necklace. And she said, I'm going to have to figure out a way to tell him I'm not using that anymore. Okay? So she was rejoicing. She was what? Rejoicing. She was rejoicing. All right. Was there a conviction? Yes. yes. Right. So I get out to the, to the foyer. And uh, Pastor, Pastor Bob Hayes, I don't know if any of you have heard of pa Pastor Bob Hayes. He's the pastor over here in uh, uh, St. Augustine. And uh, so he's the Bible worker. And he says, uh, man, am I glad you didn't come here any sooner. I said, why? What's the matter? He said, that lady was waiting for you. I said, what does she want? She, she finally left, and she's left this message for you. She said, when I get a hold of that black hair, beady-eyed preacher, I'm going to smack him in his face. So let me ask you a question. Was she excited, yes or no? Huh? Was she convicted? Yes. Remember this, guys. Great conviction, great reaction. Little conviction, little reaction. Okay? Same thing with work. Great conviction, great perspiration. Little conviction, little perspiration. People who attempt great things for God is because they are greatly convicted. 
people who attempt little for God is because they have little conviction. Okay? So, now what do I do? The lady wants to smack me in the face. Should I go and get my gift? Huh? What do you do? Huh? He said, turn the other cheek. You go turn the other cheek. <laughs> well, listen, when people are under great conviction, you must see them. What did I say? When people are under great conviction, you must see them. I'll explain to you why. I went, to, that was Saturday night. Sunday night, morning, I went to the house, knocked on the door, and uh, the husband came to the door. As soon as he opened the door, he saw me standing, and he says, Reverend Torres, what are you doing here? I said, I came to see your wife. He said, you're crazy? I said, well, look, I need to see her. He said, all right, man, you're on your own. And he left the door open and left. I don't know where he went to. So since the door was open, I was standing there. I stepped inside. And uh, when I stepped inside, trying to get myself oriented you know, in the house, and I found out that the kitchen was over here because I heard some noise, and there she was cleaning the deck, okay? And so I just stood there like this, smiling. And so she was going... I'll never forget the big blue eyes opening up. She said, you, just like that. And she began to yell at me. That lady was livid. She was angry. She said, how could you do that to me? I said, what did I do? You know what you did. I said, could you tell me? She said, how can you embarrass me that way in front of all those people? I said, how did I embarrass you? You knew I was the only one wearing jewelry. How can you talk about me that way in front of everybody? So I said, did I point at you? She said, no. Did I call your name out? She said, no. I said, well, if it wasn't me, who was it? And all of a sudden, she stopped. And the anger turned to awe. And she said, God. What did she say? God. And I said, look, I would have never, ever done that to you. You know, as a person, I love you, and I love your family. I'm thankful you're coming. And I would never have done that to you. But I said, look, before I got to the hall, Another lady stopped me who had jewelry, and she, she rejoiced over what she heard. But let me ask you a question, I said. Did I speak about jewelry per se? She said, well, no. I said, so what did I talk about? Well, she said, you talked about smoking, and you talked about drinking, and you talked about unclean foods. And I said, so if you heard me talk all about that, why did you get upset about this? And I said, let me explain to you why. Because when you are in an audience and the Spirit of God is speaking to you, you feel as if though he is speaking only to you. Is that correct? Yes or no? You may be in the midst of a million people, but when the Spirit of God places his finger on you, you feel as if though you are the only one being picked on about your particular sin, whatever it is. So I said, that's what's happened. So then I gave her a study on the Spirit of God, how the Spirit of God works, etc. See, here's the problem. Pentecostals, charismatics, Baptists who are charismatic, etc., are taught that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you experience joy. 
and happiness and excitement. Okay? So when you're studying with them and they begin to feel bad inside, they equate bad feelings with the devil, good feelings with God. And the tendency is to reject you because they feel that what you're bringing to them is the enemy and not the Lord. Do you understand? All right, so this lady was, in, was a uh, evangelical, and when she felt bad, she assumed that the one who was troubling her was the devil and I was his agent. And she had determined never to return to the meeting. If I had not gone to visit her, she would have never come back. Do you understand? When people don't understand how the Spirit of God works, the devil takes advantage of them. Let me just share some things with you. Most people do not know what conviction is. They don't know what the Holy Spirit is. They feel that conviction, if they don't know any better, is harassment. Is what? Harassment. Guilt trip. You're putting a guilt trip on me. How many of you have heard that? You're just putting a guilt trip on me, okay? All of these things happen because people really do not understand how the Spirit of God works. The Bible says when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Sin. Sin. What else? Righteousness. What else? Judgment. Sin, what's wrong? Righteousness, what's right? Judgment, the decision that must be made between the right and the wrong. Okay? So when the Spirit of God convicts you, it, it's, it's all at once, even uh, I'm talking about uh, the whole thing is affecting you, even though he is working on you, revealing what's wrong in you, revealing what you should be doing right, and forcing you to have to make a decision. Okay? Now, there are people who don't understand that. As an evangelist, when I go to churches and hold evangelistic meetings, I have church members who say, don't put pressure on them. How many of you have heard that? Don't put pressure on them. They don't understand what they're doing. They're standing on the side of the enemy thinking that they're helping the Lord. Because when people are convicted, you must help that person make a decision. If you don't, the devil will make sure that they don't make a decision. And by the way, by not making a decision, they're making a decision. Okay? So, they don't know what conviction is. Let's talk about Nicodemus, for example. Nicodemus was a religious leader, wasn't he? All right? But what did he say to the Lord? How can these things be? And Jesus said, Are thou a master of... Israel. So this man was a very high, influential, religious leader. Nicodemus was a leader in Israel, yet he had no knowledge of the workings of the Holy Spirit. How much knowledge? Zilch. Okay. Paul finds some disciples who were baptized by John the Baptist. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? What was their answer? We have not so much heard whether it be any Holy Ghost. They were believers. They had been baptized by John the Baptist and were disciples, but did not know there was even a Holy Spirit. 
So if this is true of religious people, what about of people who are not religious? So when the Spirit of God is working on them, I don't know what's going on. I was holding an evangelistic meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, a tent meeting. Lights were down, because in those days I used a slide projector, and you remember the old slide projector, you had to turn off the lights, otherwise you couldn't see the screen. So I began to preach, and this couple walk in and sit down in the back. When I finished, they immediately left, so I didn't know who they were, you know, et cetera. The next night they came in a little earlier. I got to meet them. He was a big, big muscle-bounded guy, huge muscles. He was a power lifter, uh, bodybuilder, his wife also, so they both walked around, you know. And he had bald-headed, handlebar mustache, you know what I'm saying? He looked like Mr. Clean. Anyway, he's coming to the meetings every night. I make an appeal. That hawk of a guy comes forward, and he's weeping. He's what? He's weeping, all right? And he tells me, he says, I'm embarrassed. I've never cried a day in my life. What's happening to me, he said. And he said, can God forgive me? I said, of course God can forgive me. He said, you don't know who I am, what I've done. How do you know God can forgive me? I said, I don't know who you are, what you've done, but I know who he is and what he can do. So I said, what do you think you've done that God can't forgive you? He said, I've killed 3,500 people. 3,500 people. So we got into a dialogue. The guy was an atheist. His father was an atheist. His father was a, a hired gun. And what he hated as a young man was his father was always hiding. After he killed somebody, he would hide. And he's, he determined as a young man that he was going to kill, but he was going to figure out how to do it. By the way, this guy was not a dumb guy. He was a nuclear physicist. Okay? So he's, he, des, he decided that he was, he was going to figure out how to kill people legally so he wouldn't have to hide. So at 17, he joined the military during the Vietnam War. He became a helicopter pilot and flew the, the Cobra helicopter, and he did every search and destroy mission. And he counted 3,500 people that he destroyed. And loved every minute of it. And he only came to the tent to stir trouble. He said he loved to go into bars and try to needle people with the hope that they get upset so he could grab their faces and twist them. He was a mean individual. He came into the meeting to start trouble, but he got into trouble. God so convicted that man that he was weeping like a, like a child. He said, I've never cried in my life. And he said, uh, what do I do? And I turned to 1 John 1, 9, and I showed him that promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what else? Yes. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, how can these things be? I said, because God says so. The fact that you're weeping tells me that the Spirit of God is working in your heart. And God wants to invite, invite you to serve him. Will you give your heart to him? Anything. Will you kneel down with me? Yes. We knelt down together, and that man wept and asked God for forgiveness. And I had the joy of baptizing them. Okay? So, people don't know. What did I say? People don't know. So, who has to tell them? You do. Okay? So, when you're studying, you must watch for conviction. Conviction may pop up at the first study. may pop up at the second study. You don't know what lessons these people have had. You don't know what history they've had. You cannot assume that you have to follow a prescribed program in order for people to get ready to serve the Lord. You have to be watching. You have to what? Watching. Because people can make decisions like this, just like that man. He came to my meeting by the third night. He was converted. You hear what I'm saying? 
Can that happen? Yes or no? Absolutely. Okay? So, it's the Spirit of God that does it. And you and I need to then be watching. Be what? Watching. watching. We're watching for conviction. All right? People think that you're the one that's troubling them because they don't know any better. You need to go instruct them to, as to how the Spirit of God works. In fact, here's what I would encourage you to do when you give them Bible studies. Try to put a study together about the Spirit of God and how He works early on in your series. I do that in my meetings. So that when people get convicted, they know it's not me, it's God speaking to them. All right? The light of Christ sweeps away darkness that covers their sins, and the need of reform is made manifest. While those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin to war with? With who? Themselves. Those who cling to sin war against the? And its representative. All right? So, when conviction strikes, there are people who are fighting against the truth and its representative. Now, what time are we supposed to stop here? What time? Twelve? Well, guess what? It's five after twelve. Keep on going. You're all listening. Well, let me, let me conclude with this. What's important about this whole arena of uh, decision-making is to learn and watch and observe how the Spirit of God works, number one. Number two, learn how to get a, a decision. And one of, the, one of the, the simple ways to get a decision is to ask people the question, is there anything that would keep you from? What is it? Is there anything that would keep you from? Okay. When people are under, under conviction, ask the question. You've heard how God is speaking to you. Is there anything that would keep you from making the decision for him? If you don't ask for a decision, you'll never get one. What did I say? If you don't ask for it, you will not get one. Ladies, how many of you have gotten married without your husband asking you to marry them? Or how many of you had to, had, to, had to coach your husband to ask the question? Any of you ladies had to do that? None of you had to do that. One over there, way in the corner. Huh? I asked him. You had to ask him. <laughs> well, you know, with me, my wife, uh, we were engaged together. And uh, I keep on forestalling, you know. And finally, she said, let's sit down together and talk. So we sat down together and talked. So she said, tell me something, honey. She said, in your culture, who pays for the wedding? I said, well, of course, we pay for the wedding. The man pays for the wedding. That's the way it is in your culture? I said, yes. So she said, that's not the way it is in my culture. I said, oh, well, how is it in your culture? She said, well, in my culture, my dad has to pay for the wedding. I said, you're kidding. She said, no. She said, my dad would be offended if he could not pay for the wedding. I said, are you serious? She said, yes. I said, good. If I give you two weeks, will we be ready? <laughs> I didn't have two shekels to rub together, so I was afraid to ask her to marry me because I couldn't pay for the wedding. When I discovered that her father had to do it, well, that's, that sealed the deal. You understand? <laughs> so I said, if, if I give you two weeks, will you be ready? She said, yes. And so she was a Southern College studying nursing. She lived in California. She actually did it. In two weeks, she went back home. She got things ready, sent out the invitations. And in two weeks, we were married. I mean, we were going together for quite a while, you understand. But I was just, you know, I was too embarrassed to let her know I didn't have two shekels to rub together. And so, ask for the decision. What did I say? 
ask for the decision. Now, there's much more that I could share, share with you, but the time is gone. Uh, I would encourage you to get the books, not because I'm going to make some money off of it, but because I believe that they are books that will help you in this whole dynamics of getting decisions. All right? These books, you can purchase them right here. Okay? So let's uh, have prayer together, and I'll dismiss those of you who need to leave, and those of you who want to get the books, you can come forward. Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to learn the art of getting decisions. We pray that your spirit will just continue to guide us, help us to become more effective in knowing how to cooperate with your spirit and how to lead others to Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.